Well, like I said, you know, it, um, and like Pastor Luke has said, um, you know, it's been, uh, it's been three months or so since I've been standing up here before you, uh, prepared to open the word. And I had, um, I kind of thought all the way through sabbatical, uh, even though I did my best not to think too much about my job as a pastor, um, because preaching is part of my, is part of my job, but, I think, and I've said it before, that um, apart from being a part of the occupation of pastor, I feel like the Lord has, um, from a very early age, seeded something deeply down down within me. Um, that it's it's more than just a job for me. That it is, it is who He has created me to be. Uh, and so, it was hard to kind of separate myself from the conversation, internal conversation of like, okay. First sermon back. What am I going to preach on? What am I going to preach on? Like, I, I don't know. Like, am I going to remember how to do it? Like, um, and and I don't know if I do or not. I don't. I don't think that it really matters whether I remember how to do it or not. I'm going to do it. And I was talking with Pastor Luke a few weeks before I came back, just about like the sermon layout for the rest of the year, because we we try to lay out our sermon series at least for. A little while, so we have time to prepare and pray into it, and really like internalize what the Lord is um, speaking to us. And we, he started this series called "It's All About Jesus," and how how appropriate for uh, a church and a community who desires to be in ever increasing ways, day in and day out, more like Jesus today than we were yesterday. We want to live more like Jesus. We want to love more like Jesus. We want to serve more like Jesus. We want to be more like Jesus today than we were yesterday. And I hope that in, you know, two hours from now, we're more like Jesus then than we are right right now. Okay, And so, there's, I think, no other appropriate way to just continue this series through until we feel like we're done with it. Because it is ultimately all about Jesus, right? You can say amen there even a little bit louder. It's okay, we're in church, right? It is ultimately all about Jesus. Amen. Thank you, all right? Okay, and so listen, um, what, what, do we, what, what do we talk about when we talk about it being all about Jesus? Well, the, the short answer is, Everything is, right? Everything is, and we can. I think we we have a sermon. I've got a sermon, kind of like ruminating in my mind for later in the series about everything really being about Jesus. But in particular today, we're going to talk about how um, what is all about Jesus. Well, the church, the church is all about Jesus. Now, uh, when we say that the church is all about Jesus, there are some definitive things that we are saying. We're making some declarative statements, and we're going to get to those in a minute, but they're also by like just, you know, the inverse, we're also definitively saying, not saying some things. For example, if we say that the church is all about Jesus, then there are definitely some things that the church is not all about. If it is all about Jesus, then it obviously, what we are not saying is that the church cannot be about me. That the church cannot be uh, about you. That the church cannot be about us. To say say that the church is all about Jesus is to make also a declarative statement that the church is not about us. Now, full disclosure, I find it in my, my best Jesus moments really easy 
to say that. The church is all about Jesus. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about us at all. I mean, there's moments where it's like so easy to say that, right? Until I have a maybe not so Jesus incarnating, embodying moment, and I begin to have an opinion about something, right? Then the church gets a little bit less like about Jesus and a little bit more about me. Right? It's like the, the, meter, the meter goes down a little bit. right? I find it easy when I'm embodying Jesus, but then I get a preference about something. Like, well, I prefer this style, or I prefer this thing, or I prefer this ministry, or I prefer this type of Bible study, or I prefer, I prefer, I prefer, I prefer, I prefer... And, and as my preferences climb in priority in my life, vis-a-vis the priorities of Jesus, I, I betray the fact that a big part of me thinks that the church actually is about, well, it's about me. It's about what I prefer. It's about my opinions, right? Maybe when I have like a relational scuffle with someone else in the community of faith here, right? Like they say something that I don't like or they do something that I don't like or they, they have a lifestyle that I, don't, that I don't necessarily agree with. All of a sudden, right, like now, now I'm stepping down really hard on, listen, you better, you better start looking like me. You better start talking like me. You better start acting like me. You better start worshiping like me. Because the discontinuity between me and this person that's sitting right next to me or this person that's sitting across the sanctuary from me, like, listen, you got to get in line, man, because this church is like all about Jesus. No, about me. And what makes me comfortable. And what soothes my spiritual sensibilities. And what makes me feel like I can be here. And what makes me feel like I can be involved in. And so there's this like competing, if we're honest with ourselves, there's like this competing, yeah, the church is all about Jesus. Agreed. Man, I got some opinions. I got some thoughts. I got some things. And like, am I saying it's wrong to have opinions? No. Am I saying it's wrong to have preferences? No. Am I saying it's wrong to have thoughts or difficulties with different people? No. I am not saying that at all. What I'm saying is that um, you are not the Lord of the church, right? And so that there are actual, there are actually, uh, there actually is a, a, a Lord over, over the church and all of our opinions and all of our priorities and all of our preferences and all of our thoughts and all of our delicate sensibilities are gauged off of His Lordship of the church rather than what we just hope it will be and look like. And if we are, if we are unwilling, right, to loosen our grip on our own priorities and preferences 
to ask Jesus what he would have, what he would do with all of the things that we hold so tightly. If we, if our heart is so hard, we will constantly be in a state of unsurrendered lordship to him. It's a dangerous place to be. A really dangerous place to be. And we're going to talk a little bit about why. But man, God, and, and this, is, like, this is the prayer we, we, we need to pray over ourselves and into our own hearts that God, God forgive us for the moments that we have made church so about us that we have driven away from the community that was proposed to carry the fullness of Jesus in its midst. Where we, have made, where we have made it so much that we have driven people away from the community that was designed to hold the fullness of the presence of God in its midst. And we'd be silly to say it never happened, or it's never happened, or that it's okay. It's not okay. It's not. We have two main scriptures for this morning that I want to kind of like set our feet down on. One from the Apostle Paul and one from Jesus himself. Uh, the first one is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. The second is going to be Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. Let's start in the Ephesians, um, in the Ephesians passage. Ephesians chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible with you or if you're not familiar with the Bible and you don't know where to find Ephesians, that's okay. We want to help you become better at that. Um, we've also put the scripture up on the screen behind me uh, so that you can read along with us. If you don't have a Bible and you would like one, um, uh, we would love to be able to get you one, give you one, you take it with you, you uh, read it, you underline it, you bring it back with you, you study, you let the Lord speak to you out of it. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. I want to kind of like this, these, this preeminent like proclamation of the Apostle Paul as he was talking to the church that he planted in a city called Ephesus. He was encouraging them and maybe even exhorting, like teaching or admonishing, which is kind of like somewhat like a harsh rebuke, a reminder of who Jesus was and what he was all about. He says in verse 18, Ephesians chapter 1, I pray also, understand he was speaking to believers here, okay? He said, hey, church, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of His mighty strength, which He exerted in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God has placed 
all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Paul here is kind of like in one of those statements where it's like if you can, you can read it in Paul's voice, it's almost like he's taking a deep breath and like getting it all out in one sentence. He's like, all right, you ready? And then he goes into it. His incomparably great power for those who believe that power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead, seated him at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. But what he gets down to in his very last line in verse 22 and 23, and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Listen, if there was any confusion ever in anyone's belief or in anyone's theology or in scripture at all, um, this should clear it up is that Jesus runs this place. Jesus runs this place, right? And admittedly, right, listen, there is no one that needs to hear that proclamation more often, more regularly, more on blast than me, okay? Hey, you don't run this place. You're not in charge. So, so I'm not saying that declaratively be like, shame on y'all for trying to take control, right? I'm saying it as much or more to myself than anyone else, but as a reminder to all of us that preeminently and before all things and above all things and at the head of all things that have to do with you and I and us and this community, Jesus runs it all. Not some things, not just the spiritual things, not just the things of faith, not just the things that have to do with the Bible. No, but all of it. When Paul uses the word everything, he means, kind of in this weird Greek transliterative way, he means everything. Not, not some things, not the things that you think are important, not, not the big things or the things of faith or the things of Scripture, but everything. All the things. His Lordship is the filter through which all things should be done, considered, and endeavored to do in the community of faith, in the church. Period. Amen. End of sentence. Go to bed. Wake up. Rinse. Repeat. Jesus runs it all. And Paul flat out says Jesus is the head of everything that is in the church. But listen, he doesn't just stop there. That's not all that Paul says. Jesus doesn't just run the church. Okay? Jesus runs everything. Everything. This isn't just a declarative statement of Paul's Paul saying, hey, Jesus has lordship over the church. He is the head of the church, which is his body. It shows the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Because the verses right beforehand, Paul just got done declaring that, hey, not only is Jesus head of the church, but there is no one that sits higher than him. Let's reread from Ephesians, right? I pray also that the eyes, remember, deep breath. I pray also that the eyes of your uh, heart, oh, I gotta breathe, enlightened, 
in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. What does Jesus run? Jesus runs everything. What is Jesus in charge of? Jesus is in charge of everything. What is Jesus Lord over? Jesus is Lord of everything. When he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above, not close to, not level with, not buddy-buddy with, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every title that can be given not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Jesus runs the church, and not only is that not enough, Jesus runs everything. No one is above him. No one is near him. There, there, is, no, there is no Lord above him. When we, when we say words like King of Kings and Lord of Lords, it's not just some Sunday school type of title that we teach our kids. It's a theologically declarative statement about who we believe Jesus to be. Above everyone, below no one, we worship you. That's it. And listen, this is so, so, so important as we go into this next passage where Jesus begins to talk in Matthew chapter 16. Because, um, because the crazy, okay, are you with me? Say amen if you're awake. Alright, are you with me? Crazy, okay, but like the same power exerted in Christ Jesus when he was raised from the dead is given to you and I. Okay? The same power. Not, not, not kind of power. Not, not slivers of power. But the same power exerted in Christ by God when He was raised from the dead is given to us by faith in Jesus Christ. And look now, is manifested and fulfilled in the life and work of the church. And Jesus is going to say this, and Paul's going to say it again in a minute, okay? So Matthew chapter 16. My assumption is that if you've, been, um, if you've been in the church for any amount of time, you've probably heard this, right? And I think Pastor Luke might have referenced this in one of his sermons while I was gone, I think, this very, this very scripture. But Peter, um, Matthew chapter 16, starting at verse 13. Um, really, really cool. Really, really interesting Really, really like theologically insightful and dense piece of like um, scripture here. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, such a fascinating conversation, okay? Who do people say the Son of Man is? Maybe the language of the title Jesus uses for himself is a little confusing to you. Like, we can dilute it down to Jesus asking, like, hey, um, what's the word on the street about yours truly? Okay? Do people say that anymore? Word on the street? Like, no? I turned 40 over sabbatical, and so I'm officially no longer cool. Um, who do people say that I am? What what are they saying about me? And you can you can just you can 
read it here. Uh, the disciples are like, ah. Well, some are saying you're kind of like John the Baptist. Others, Elijah, right? Still others, maybe like that guy, Jeremiah, you know, the depressed guy that didn't want to do his ministry but was forced into it because he was being obedient to God, right? Others say, well, yeah, he just, he's among the prophets. And then Jesus asked a really insightful question. These guys that have been following him around, right? Seeing him heal the sick and raise the dead and multiply the fish and loaves and proclaim, you know, forgiveness of sins to all the, okay, well, what do you say? Who do you say that I am? It's kind of like he led them into this little, like, led this into this little, this little trap, this little Jesus trap. <laughs> Simon Peter, right? So Peter, who we have, like, you know, leader of the Jew Jerusalem church, the Jewish church, um, after Jesus' ascension, right? Ever the guy in Jesus' life who was, he just said what he was on his mind. He didn't care if it was right. He didn't care if it was wrong, right? He was going to blurt. He wasn't afraid to fail. He wasn't afraid to be made fun of. He was just like getting it out. And he actually nailed this one on the head, right? He said, but what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the Messiah. You are the anointed one. You, you, are, you are the Son of God. You are the Lord of lords. You are the King of kings. You are the Savior of the world. You are the one. You, you are not John the Baptist. You are not Jeremiah. You are not the prophets. You are the one that all those guys were testifying was to come. You are the one that was greater. Peter, like, yes. Jesus answered, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. It's that word again, right? On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This is an awesome, awesome um, piece of Scripture. Like One, because it is, again, one of those more declarative statements about what the church is all about, right? And the church is definitively all about Jesus. And Peter declares it here, you are the Son of God. And then Jesus then follows up with that. He's like, yes, Peter, you got it right. And on this rock, some have been confused to say, well, oh, but, well, Peter's name meant rock. And so, and Peter was the, you know, he, he was the, you know, like the head or the precursor to the New Testament church. And, and so Jesus was obviously saying that it was on, that it was on Peter himself that he was going to build his church. Listen, Jesus ain't that dumb, y'all. Peter screwed up more than he got it right. This is like the first time he ever got it right in scripture, right? And Jesus was not saying, Hey, Peter, I think I'm going to build the totality of my body, the totality of all who express faith in me. I'm going to build that on you, bro. 
Not it at all. But Jesus was saying here, it's like, what, what was the proclamation of, Je- or of Peter? The proclamation of Peter was that Jesus is the Son of God. He is who he said he was. He will be who he said he will be. He was the Messiah and the Christ. And it is on, it is on the proclamation and the revelation and the, and the confession of Jesus as Lord of all forever and ever. Amen. That Jesus is like, that's what I'm building my church on. I'm building it on the proclamation of my lordship. I'm building it on the proclamation of, 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 of my authority and my power and my messiahship and my saving grace. That's what I will build that community on. Not you, Peter. No offense, brah. I'm building it on me. Listen. You cannot have a right view of the church with a wrong view of Jesus. You cannot have a right view of who we are and who we are called to be and what we are called to do and who we are to worship and what the point of all of this is if you don't have a right view of Jesus. And until you get the view of Jesus that Peter has, the Lord of all, the King of all, the Messiah of all, far above all rule and power and dominion, the name that is above every other name, until you fall at the feet of Jesus in worship and surrender to your own hopelessness and your own darkness and your own hard-heartedness, all of this will just be an exercise in proclaiming your own opinions and preferences until the day that you die. And this was the problem that Jesus had with other people's view of who he was. Oh, they say you're like Jeremiah and Elijah and John the Baptist, right? He's like, okay, well, they got it all wrong. Who do you say that I am, right? Because if Jesus is forever for you, just in line with, even keel with, a bunch of good spiritual teachers in your life, if Jesus is just among them, then you may experience maybe fits and spurts of spiritual inspiration from time to time, but your life will remain largely and ultimately unchanged. Because Jesus is not the same. You can surrender your life to Jesus that is among the other prophets and teachers. And you might experience kind of these like sprints of, I feel very spiritually inspired, right? And then you'll get tired. Why? Because those people do not hold the place in the heavenly realm that Jesus does. They are weak. They are powerless. They are without the power to change you. They do not hold within themselves the good news of the gospel. They are not the Christ. They are not the Son of God. They are not the Lord of Lords. They are not the King of Kings. The confession of Peter as Lord and Christ is the confession of surrender. It is the thing that we went back to the very first thing. If the church is all about Jesus, right? 
then the church cannot be about us. And so it becomes about our surrender to his lordship. Our life together in the community of faith is about a surrender to his lordship. And that surrender has implications. It has implications for like the affections of my heart and life. It has, it has implications for my relationships. It has implications for my priorities. It has implications for my time and my money. And if the lordship or your relationship with Jesus is not drastically implying things into every sphere of your life, then you're not following him as Lord. You're, you're patty-caking with him as one among many spiritual teachers. But you've not surrendered yet. You've not. I wish I had a picture of Billy Mays, the ShamWow guy, up here right now, because like I'm about to say, but wait. What am I about to say? There's more. Because there is. There's more. Because that's only half of what Jesus says here to Peter in Matthew chapter 16. It's the easier half. not the, It's the half that we look at all the time. But he says something else here, doesn't he? He's he talking about like the gates of hell. And he's talking about what's like bound up and loosed. Real confusing, spiritual warfare type of conversation for us 21st century, post-enlightenment, scientific method. Everything has to make sense. Put it in a formula. I don't believe it if I don't understand it. And I can't explain it, so it must not be true. But let me tell you what. Jesus, the Apostle Paul... The whole council of scripture had no problem talking about how, hey, look, you know, Jesus is above it all. Jesus is above it all. And we think like, well, yeah, Jesus is above me, right? Yeah. Barely, but just a little bit, you know, right? Or Jesus is above my pastor. Yes, agreed. Got it. Jesus is above like, um... Well, he's like really close to politics, but like, but, but not totally above it, right? Don't I like? Don't even get me started. Don't even get me started. Jesus tear the whole thing down if he was in the room. I'm not kidding. He had no time for it at all, right? He had the opportunity to get involved with it, right? He had Pilate's ear. Okay, he submitted himself to it. He was fighting, a di- it was a different war. He was fighting for a different kingdom. He, couldn't, he could not give two poops about it. Okay? It was completely outside his realm of folk. Yeah, I don't care. Do what you want. This, the, the, I, I'm playing a game for a different kingdom, and it doesn't matter. Far above all rule and power, authority and dominion, and above every name that would ever be proclaimed, ever and ever, forever, amen. It doesn't, it's not even a comparison, people, right? And so when Jesus says that, right? Look, listen. Go back with me to Ephesians chapter 3, or to the book of Ephesians.
got to know something about, you got to know something when we proclaim, right? When, when, we, when we step into the proclamation that Jesus is Lord and that Jesus is far above all rule and a power, all rule, power, authority, and dominion, the name that is above every other name, that every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father, right? When we step into stuff like that, and then when we, we, when we surrender our lives, and when we walk lockstep and surrender with Jesus, being like, yeah, I believe it. I am right with Peter. I will surrender. It has all kinds of implications for my affections, my priorities, my relationships, my time, my money, my everything. There is, there is nothing that is above Jesus in my life, no matter what. Not my spouse, not my kids, not my job, not my church, not my pastor, not my anything ever, ever, Right? And so then you walk into this reality like, yeah, okay, you're, you're, not, power, you're, you're not part of it, right? You're now, you're, now, you're now living in the manifestation of the Lordship of Jesus Christ in your life. And you remember what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1, right? That the same power that God used when he exerted, um, that he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead is now yours incomparably with great riches. And then he comes to Ephesians chapter 3, two chapters later, and he says something wild and crazy like this. He goes, his intent was that now, through the what? Through the church, that the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Paul is recognizing, maybe in like, in connection with what Jesus proclaimed to Peter, he would say like, look, you don't, you might not see it, you might not understand it, you might not get it. You may want to play in the avenues of refusal to even believe that it exists, right? But, but there, is a, there is a heavenly reality, right? And then there is a reality that hell and the kingdom of darkness is seeking to smash down upon you. And, and the proclamation, right? The proclamation of Jesus' lordship in my life, right, is the, the surrender that comes with that is me, is me becoming a part of the chorus, the manifold witness of God that is through the church that should make known to all rulers and all authorities and all, and all beings in the heavenly and spiritual realms, hey, look, no, Jesus runs this place. Jesus runs it. The church becomes, listen, this is not hokey. This is not, this is not like divergent, like tributary theology. This is like, this is as, as simple as it gets, declared as it gets, that, that the church manifoldly, meaning we all together witness to the reality that no matter how hard hell tries to bind us up, to bind the world up, to put on chains of bondage, to, to weigh down with the blackness 
of despair, that out of our confession that Jesus is Lord, the heavenly reality comes down, crashes upon it, and looses the change, chains that heaven seeks to bind us with, or that hell seeks to bind us with. Listen, it is not... It is not a fable or a story. Hell wants to sneak up in here and steal all of the life that your confession of Jesus secures for you. And the church, you and I and us together, as a manifold witness, we are here to bind all of that thievery and deceit and darkness. We are here to bind it all up and stand as the fullness and manifold witness that there is no power over or greater than Jesus in my life, in our life. Hey, person over there, in your life, Jesus holds the key to your release from hopelessness and darkness. Jesus holds it. It is the proclamation that the church as a whole makes. We stand up. We stand up and say together in one voice, no, no, Jesus, Jesus runs this place. And not just does Jesus run this place, but Jesus runs everything. And every bit of darkness and every bit of despair and every bit of chain of torment and addiction and depression and anxiety and hopelessness and darkness and fear, right? That, that, heavens, that, that hell seeks to bind every person with. We as the church will scream from the mountaintops as a manifold witness to everyone that will hear us that Jesus holds the answer. He is more powerful. He breaks the change. There is no one above him higher, greater, more powerful. He sets people free. You know what the church is all about? church is all about Jesus. It's not about the proclamation that you have. It's not the opinion or the preference that you have, right? It's about proclaiming Jesus. I know who you are, Jesus. I'll stand, I'll stand among the disciples and answer that question. You are Lord of Lords, and you are King of Kings, and you are Christ, the Son of the Most High God. And in that proclamation, every, every chain is loosed. Every, every darkness is made light with Jesus' presence. Every bond, every, every, every piece of bondage is broken. I want to read to you um, it's kind of like as the worship team comes back up, this is what I want to be my prayer for the 
end of the service here, or end of the sermon at least, out of Ephesians chapter 3, again. Because Paul, um, as he's writing to the Ephesians, he, he prays over them, right? And he says this, And uh, church, like, if you, would, if you would allow me to pray this over you, okay? Why don't you stand? Allow me to pray this over you as we stand in one accord, right? For this reason, this is Ephesians chapter 3, verse starting of verse 14. For this reason, for this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, that he may strengthen you with power through. His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how high and wide and long and deep is the love of Christ and to know that this love surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to His power that is at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. We have no, no other words than holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty. Lord, let all the saints praise Thee. Let every word we speak, Lord, let it be Jesus. the name and the person above every other name. The name that breaks every chain and brings down every stronghold. We speak Jesus. We yell Jesus. We sing Jesus. We declare Jesus. We live like Jesus. May it be, Lord, in us as we declare with our lips. In Jesus' name, amen.